Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper and horse Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous, smoked a pack a day, Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but Dan, they don't count. Mark, you sound great for someone who smoked a pack a day. I, on the other hand, am quite sick, and so my voice is not at its normal, absolutely pristine you know, made for radio uh, quality. Here we are, nevertheless. Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. I kind of want to get like available Alan on here to analyze what your voice sounds like uh, right now, Dan. But in the meantime, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork and keep this podcast going, Go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of Season 6 are going up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. Jump on that bandwagon if you're someone that's itching for Season 6 content. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, just like Season 6. Number 22, this issue is written by Zeb Wells. The interior and cover pencils are by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on March 22nd, 2023, the year of our Lord Hobgoblin. Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened in issue 22 in your now famous recap? Yeah, they're so famous, Dan. All right. Right now, it's your tomorrow. Also, Norman Osborn is watching a newscast about a guy in a tornado, and he notes that he's returned. Norman wants to suit up, and not in that fancy Armani way, but in the Gold Goblin way. He talks to a mischievous Miss Khan, and I'm assuming this is Miss Marvel, but I gotta be honest, it doesn't really look like her. But anyway, that brings us to one year ago, or a year and a half ago, as the recap pages really want us to believe. Anyway, Peter and MJ are running through a dystopian wreckage, uh, running from a robotic dinosaur of sorts, when MJ bumps into a hooded man with a huge gun. And man, oh man, is this guy's huge gun impressive, as it disrupts the symbology of the monster and destroys it. The man removes his hood and reveals himself to be Paul. Somewhere, an angry Spider-Man Twitter person lets out a scream of agony. Paul seems to know a lot about this Mayan mumbo-jumbo guy, leading Peter to drop a line about totems, only for Paul to correct him that this storyline is much bigger than anything J. Michael Straczynski's feeble brain could comprehend. Paul waxes poetic about Dr. Rabin's master plan and unlocking powers of quantum symbology, and now I know how my 78-year-old dad felt last weekend when we watched Everything Everywhere all at once together. However, <laughs> one thing I do think I grasped out was apparently spider symbology is suited to traveling to different realities along quantum strings, except Paul couldn't get the technology to work. Haha, <laughs> I know what's about to happen, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, cut over to Dr. Rabin, who despite being unclean and unshaven, summons Wyatt. Rabin comes with a sacrifice and the sunblood, and I'm back to thinking about how the kid from the Goonies won an Oscar. 
Back to Peter, MJ, and Paul. And Peter is perfecting the spider technology to serve as a device to travel between dimensions like he did in Spider-Verse. What could possibly go wrong? Paul starts giving more of his origin story. He was a guinea pig of, of Rabin's, and he just wants us to know Rabin is a sadistic man. I mean, what was the giveaway? Paul and MJ continue the chat about how this whole ceremony needs to end in Spider-Man's death. And I got to say, MJ's I am Paul. And is that love with a lowercase L-I-C? And here comes Wyatt like the Kool-Aid man, except of saying, oh, yeah, it's Sunblood, which frankly is kind of what I think of when I see a picture of Icy Cool Kool-Aid. Wyatt wants to break time to kill Spider-Man, and that sounds serious. However, Paul uses an octopus gun to temporarily free Spider-Man. And he's like, you gotta leave, dude, or the emissary wins. And Peter is all, not without MJ, she's like a sister to me. Wait, no, I added that last part. However, MJ comes back for Peter and gets in the middle of the spider technology, as well as a ball of white light, which is never a good sign. Mary Jane apparently cut a god in half, so Paul pushes the other half through the portal, and before we get to see what happens to Wyatt, we see Peter free-falling to the earth just outside of York, Pennsylvania, leaving us all to wonder, is this an alternative reality where Dr. Oz is a sitting U.S. Senator? Tune into the next issue of Amazing Spider-Man to find out. Bravo, Mark. That's probably your best one yet. That was that was wonderful. It's much more interesting to recap it when I actually liked the issue and I'm not actively trying to make fun of it. So there you go. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, just to get into the sausage making and, and I think kind of comes out in your kind of recap of this is like there's a lot of like lore mumbo jumbo that is thrown about in this issue, whether it's expository or just kind of like world building setting the tone for this story one of the risks that we talked about last uh, episode is that if you haven't read five 555 through 557 all of this stuff surrounding yep and uh, rabin probably feels like out of left field to you and 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 you're probably you're, you're probably right in feeling that way again i would just echo the sentiment that if you haven't read those issues and you have access to reading those issues I, I would really encourage you to do so because I think your read of this comic will be immensely better. That being said, and I again, I can't read this comic without having read those because I've read those and fairly recently. There's still a lot to grab onto here. I kind of wanted to talk about the world building and storytelling here so that we can at least be kind of on the same page about like what's going on here, how this is working, and yada, yada, what the stakes are. Um, so, Mark, you know, why don't you like, you know, where did you have some questions? Cause you texted me and you were like, I like this issue, but I'm not sure that I know what's going on. Like any comic that is kind of dealing in the world of pseudoscience. I mean, it, it, it's, there's, there's a lot of terminology and, and just general, you know, exposition in here where you're like, okay, like I kind of, get the jive of what's happening here. But like, you know, if you actually like try to read the words on the page and define them, it's like, you know, we're talking about traveling on quantum strings. And I'm like, look, we're going to, we're, we're, it's, it's like, I'm looking at this, like it's multiverse stuff, you know what I mean? Or alternate realities, however you want to, however you want to define it. But like, that's, that's what we're really dealing with here. But like, you know, if you actually ask me to kind of define what the mechanics are here um to to quote unquote jump i i couldn't really break it down in a in a in a tangible way i don't know if you can but i couldn't <laughs> yeah i mean i i think i've got a pretty good handle on it and i think the kind of key thing that like uh unlocks a lot of it is thinking about that quote from the first thor movie where he tells jane your ancestors called it magic but you call it science i come from a land where they're one and the same and I think you can kind of apply that to the idea of like symbology here, you know, like Rabin is like a quantum mathematician, but really he like takes math so far back that he, and it ends up being all about symbols and symbology. And I think that Paul tries to communicate that here, that like, 
you know, we, we went so far back. We like, we found the universal connection between all these things or these base level symbols. And those symbols showed up in, in Mayan culture. And I think we can make the inference that they also showed up in West African culture, which is where we saw all the totemic stuff uh, with Ezekiel that showed up, you know, during the JMS run. What I like about this so much is I like the, the JMS totem stuff because it was, it was vague and it was unspecific and you could choose to kind of ignore it or accept it if you wanted to, like it was left ambiguous and it was like, Hey, you know, these are symbols, but there is still science involved. So you could just say it's all science if you really wanted to, rather than saying it was any kind of mysticism. But then Dan Slott doubled down on that and was like, no, the totems are real and spider people are uniquely special and they have this web at the center of all reality that, you know, lets them travel di- from to different dimensions. But here, I think Wells is saying, yeah, that's all true, but really he's moving it back more towards the JMS interpretation, which is to say like, yeah, totems are all just a part of this more general symbology that's at the heart of everything. And spiders just so happen to have a unique attribute to them that, you know, allows them to do multiversal travel better than other people. And to me, that removes the kind of like spiders are special element of Spider-Verse, which I think doesn't fit with the character of Spider-Man and makes it into like everybody is special. We just got to see the spiders doing their thing. And I, like, I think this was done really elegantly in this comic and like really subtly in a way that's not like, hey, I'm deleting what Dan Slott did, but it changes it in a way that I think is more aligned with how the Spider-Man universe should work. Does, does that make sense, Mark? The way I'm kind of thinking about it, and if this is, again, an oversimplification, I, I, I apologize, but like I kind of think of like like what JMS did and, and what Wells is doing here. You know, if you go to that HBO show, The Leftovers, and like what what is like the theme song? It's like, let the mystery be. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like there's like stuff happening that could be scientific, could be mystical, could be magical. We don't quite know. And like you said, it almost doesn't matter. It's just like come for the ride and let the mystery be. Whereas I feel like, you know, some stuff with Spider-Verse and, you know, it was very MacGuffin driven and it was like, no, this has to happen because of this thing and this thing and this thing. And, and, you know, and this is happening because of, and like, there is no mystery. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think like people who have been listening to this show for years know that like, I, you know, I, I recoil at the, at the thought of things like secret scrolls or, you know, and, and I personally enjoy this kind of storytelling because like you said, it's like, in not getting too hung up in trying to define and be specific and break down everything because it, it's all just hokum. <laughs> like, like, it's just, like it, it, it is like, it's not like, no, it, no, Mark, it, this is my new religion. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I am, I am Dr. Rabin. I, I'm going to shave my beard off and I'm going to invest yeah. in, in, in symbology. And, and the thing is like, you know, the characters themselves seem committed to it and they seem consistent. They seem to be consistently operating within in it but like in terms of how it's you know ex- expositorily laid out like i, I don't know like it, it, it's like you said it's left a little vague and it's a little open to interpretation and i as the reader can think this or think that and it doesn't really matter because the story is still the story either way i don't know like i'm, I'm probably not using super specific words i'm being vague and how i'm describing it but like i i I appreciate that more in this kind of story than in trying to like just drill down and be like, no, no, I'm going to define the science because it's not it's it's silly. It's all silliness. So like you could either just kind of let it out there and let people kind of go where they want to go with it. Or you can like, you know, break down every element of it and be like, well, you know, if you press this button, all this magic happens. And if you press this and if you find this MacGuffin, all this magic happens. And it's like, well, you know, or you could just like, I don't know, kind of talk about quantum strings or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, for me, it's like, it's the mystery element, but it's like JMS is one. It was like, it opened the door to something that seemed like, like endlessly complicated that you couldn't even begin to understand fully, you know, like, yeah, they're spider totems, but 
there's so much else bigger than that that could be a part of it, right? Whereas Dan Slott's one, I think, made it so specific that it felt like, no, this is like a fixed thing and we know the entirety of, of it. Although the Spider-Verse continues to expand and Shathra comes involved. And I, it, I, 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 don't, I don't love all of that. But this, to me, expands it again and says... No, it's like it's like the there's a level beyond even that, and in, in a way, it makes it even, brings the mystery back. But you can also logic your way through it. Like for example, like uh, Paul has this shape shifting gun that is really cool, and at the beginning of the book, it's shaped like like an eagle's wings, and he uses it to kill the rat looking symbol monster, and then at the end of the book, he uses turns it into an octopus and uses it to like confuse Wyeb, you know, when he's coming after Spider-Man. And it's kind of fun to think about like, okay, like what totem trumps the other totem? Uh, like, of course, a bird is the natural predator of a rat creature. You can see some kind of internal logic going on, but, you know, I, I don't think it really matters. And the most important thing to this, I think, is that the storytelling is finally from Peter's perspective in the moment where we know just as much as Peter does. And I think that's what has elevated this, these past two issues so much is that like, we, we know as much, I mean, we actually know more than Peter does because we know where this ends up, but for the, for, for the story immediately, like Paul is throwing all this mumbo jumbo at Peter and we're along them for the same ride, you know? And, and Peter quickly ascertains that like, Whatever he's saying, I'm going to take from it the stuff that I know, which is the Spider-Verse stuff, and then like delineate what the stakes are. And the stakes here are very apparent. It's like he needs he's trying to kill Spider-Man. And if he does, he gets to go to their universe and destroy it. And, you know, that creates inherent drama. And I think that's what makes the book exciting while leaning into the stuff that you and I have been very critical of in the past. But I just think the approach to it just works here so well. What did you think about the introduction of of Paul here and and you know the the weaponry the everything? I mean, like what you know how 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 did you like? Were you surprised by how he was kind of brought into this? No, I mean it, it's funny because it like it almost seems obvious in in hindsight. Like oh, he would be like one of the scientists who work with uh, with, with Rabin or whatever. Uh, I, I thought it was very elegant. I, I'm 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 more interested in Paul as a character because like clearly he's gone he's like gone through some shit in in this dimension and there's a really interesting implication in the comic that he has been there for a long time. He says like I've been here for a long time of my time or, or however he phrases it. So there's this very clear implication that time works differently in Zibalba or whatever you want to call this dimension. And with the end of this comic being what it is like that has even greater implications for the story that, that we're going to see unfold and the status quo that results from this. Let me ask you this, Mark, because I've seen this floating around the internet and I just didn't feel this way when I read the comic, but maybe you did. There's a lot of people. I, well, there's a lot of people out there that just hate the idea of Paul fundamentally. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think truly for anything he's done because so far he seems like a pretty straightforward character and a nice guy. Some people are suggesting that he's not to be trusted, and maybe it's just because they've read Wells's comics, <laughs> where where some things present themselves one way and not the other. Like he's very conveniently there. He's got the spider device laying out. He suggests that he was seduced by Rabin's. Uh, mathematics at some point I read it and I was like this guy seems super trustworthy and I just took him on face value I'm wondering if maybe you were a little more distrustful of him well it's funny and I'm trying to remember Dan if this was during uh, your paternity leave or not from the show but like I remember having a conversation about an early issue with Paul where I was like yeah there's something not right about this guy I did not feel he was very straightforward I felt like there was a, a, a sordid past there I was not necessarily predicting that the lineage would be what it appears to be right now. Like, I, I, like, let me let me rephrase this by saying, like, I was kind of 
I, I know you said, oh, it's obvious, but like I was surprised, like in, in, in a good way, but like, oh, okay, like, you know what I mean? Like now it's all starting to make sense. And yes, in retrospect, it's obvious, but like, well, I, that, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I was surprised by it too. Yeah, yeah. Like I was not like in part two of this story a year ago, expecting to see Paul in the middle of all this chaos. But, but yeah, I mean, it is a little convenient. And, you know, what are, what are his weapons? They are these, like, totemic weapons, uh, including one that is an octopus, which is, uh, you know, and I know we're going to speculate a little bit later, so I don't want to, like, jump the gun here. But, you know, the fact of the matter is it's you would think that someone using an octopus gun would be um, in, in diametric conflict with, uh, with Spider-Man. I don't know. Just, just a thought. I, I I don't know if this whole sequence makes me trust him more or is it makes me trust him more or less or does it make me question the characterization here? Because like I said, I, I initially got a kind of a weird feeling about this guy back, you know, when he was first introduced. So we're going to find out, I guess. So let's let's uh, buckle up. <laughs> I mean, for me, the weirdest thing about Paul remains the whole like, how are you doing, Mary Jane? And she's like, good. And he says, it's going to have to be better than good. And and it's kind of a refrain of his is like, MJ seems to be putting on a false face for whatever for whatever reason it is. I have some speculation about that that, that I'm going to hold off on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's for me, it's like if Mary Jane trusts this guy which I, I guess we're meant to believe, then I feel like I can trust him too. We'll get to the speculation at the end of the episode. And I promised Mark, like, I'm, I don't want to speculate, but there's some things that really are starting to come together and the questions that need to be answered. I guess the real stakes here is to say, like, it's all about, like, Rabin, you know, has to kill Peter, or, or at least uh, Wyatt has to kill Peter because Peter became a symbol himself in defeating them the last time that they saw him as a symbol of their defeat. And that gave him more power, which is kind of interesting. Like the symbology is like uh, morphological, if, if you will, like it can change based on how you see someone. We don't know what sunblood refers to, but m- my guess is that it's referring to like the radioactive blood of, of Peter. That, that seems like the most obvious thing to me, but We'll see. Let's talk about some of the big moments in this issue. I was struck by the kind of moments of epic heroism in in this story, you know, specifically like both Peter and MJ who, you know, essentially are willing to die for the other one in this comic, which is, again, to underline this is not a comic that hates Peter and MJ like loving each other because here they're willing to put everything on the line for the other person. I mean, and uh, Spider-Man is like, I think maybe not intentionally ostensibly putting the entire world at risk on MJ's behalf. What did you think of like the big, so as you call it, or as you will boss battle with Yeb and, and their kind of moments of heroism to reiterate exactly what you just said, Dan. I mean, like this came across last issue as well. I mean, these, these are, Obviously, two characters who truly, deeply, intimately care about each other and care about each other's well-beings and are willing to put everything on the line for each other. So, I mean, like, it just it just brings home the fact that even more that whatever, you know, what did Peter do? Um, you know, the, the, the age old question. I mean, it, it was clearly some kind of you could call it a sacrifice, you could call it a a deal, a bargain, a negotiation, whatever it is, but like it 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 created an unfortunate outcome because like, you know, I there 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 is no logical world that's being established here where we the, these two characters who are literally putting like you said, the, the the fate of the universe on the line for each other, where, you know, they would come to some kind of general understanding at the end here of like, well, I guess we shouldn't be together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I like you like a sister and a brother. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what's happening here. I, it, 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 there is clearly, you know, the this is, this is star-crossed lover, huge stakes, and, you know, like, people people need to understand that there is inherent drama in that i mean you know like like you said this is epic heroism i mean you know 
part of what's epic is not everything that's epic is always like happily ever after. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's these are huge stakes, um, un, un, unspeakable stakes. Because of the fact that the way this comic is written, you know, it, it, it picks up the beats that I feel were initially laid off at the end of Beyond by Zeb Wells. So like, I guess that's the other thing. It's like, despite everything that has happened the previous 20 issues or so of this run, this all feels right and earned too, you know, that these characters are doing this for each other because like, it, it just feels like we've picked this up and whatever whatever has happened before this in terms of the, the chronology of the comics is, is, is the aberration and this is the rule. Um, and we're about to find out what happened in the rule to cause the aberration. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, but this is this is big stuff. This is big, heroic, really meaningful stuff between two characters with a long storied history with each other. Well, there's no real way for us to answer this question, I think, until the story is done. But I am curious, do you think that the drama in this issue is enhanced by knowing what their future looks like. I mean, would we otherwise kind of chalk this up to standard superhero drama and like, they'll be fine in the next issue, but we know they won't be because we know how it plays out. Like is the mystery box starting to pay off for you? Or do you still like, are you still kind of like weighing that out? Because I'll tell you, I'm still mixed myself and I'm curious to hear what you think. I don't know if I have an answer to that. I mean, like, I, I, I think this feels very heightened because, frankly, it's written very heightened and it's leaning very heavily into a long established and known history of these two characters. And and like I said, and, 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 look, I'm not going to try and make every point I make a uh, 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 repudiation against Spider-Man Twitter, but like, you know, the fact that, you know, <laughs> You know, that there are people out like like the fact like, oh, you know, Zeb Wells never wanted them together. I mean, like he wrote how many issues of Beyond where the two of them were together. You know what I mean? So like that's that, that's the other point in all this. Like it wasn't that long ago where they were together and 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 carrying on with the the end of the Spencer run just sans the engagement ring, apparently, which, you know, we could talk about that. But it's but still like, out there, Mark. It's I know, still out I there. know, I know. The truth is out there, Dan. Obviously, knowing. But the, yes. So I, I guess in that regard, the mystery box is starting to pay off because now, like, you know, what, what has been like my one big ding against the mystery box so far is through all these issues. We've been, you know, we've had characters kind of acting like inarticulate around each other because they're not allowed to actually say the things that happened because we as the reader are not allowed to know what happened yet. And now we're in the point of the story where the information is becoming known so they can now be their authentic selves around each other again. And there's something kind of refreshing and reaffirming about that. And I think maybe that's more what this is. It's not so much that oh, we know what happens or we have a sense of what happens and that's what adds to the stakes. It's more like for the first time in 20 issues, 21 issues, we have characters acting authentic around each other again. And and I think that 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 make, you know, based on the history that we have here, that makes this drama so much more rich and 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 fulfilling as a reader. Yeah, and and and, and I was wondering I don't have a note on just to get into our behind the scenes, I don't have a note on this, but I did want to call out a joke that made me laugh out loud while reading this this comic, and that it, that it's not all like life or death. Is the like Johnny Storm won't stop giving me his number? What uh, <laughs> was a really great one in, yes. in the midst of a very harrowing scene. Thank you, Mark. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about our Slack? Well, hundreds of listeners like you, Dan, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what the heck's been going on in the Slack this week? Yeah, Mark, this week in the Slack... I'll admit it's been rather quiet. Like, there's not been a ton of earth-shattering news, uh, but um, everyone has been buzzing over this issue and their theories about what Peter did. 
But I wanted to highlight something a little bit smaller that's been going on in the Slack, which I really enjoy. We have a reading club uh, channel and people kind of share like combined goals, things that they can push other people to read for the first time. And uh, there's been a strong push for a while to get a lot of our members uh, to get everyone to read Superior Spider-Man and Spider-Girl. We've got a lot of younger people that have just jumped on the show you know, in the past couple of years and they haven't even read superior Spider-Man, which shock to me. Like, you know, I figured everybody had read that by now, but, um, it's been just a joy to kind of revisit those issues for people who were discovering it for the first time. And of course there's always a push for spider girl from a whole host of people in the Slack who are like kind of forming. I, I feel like I need to create a spider girl channel for these people that are just like, so into that comic. So it's been fun to see people go on these journeys for the first time. So anyway, uh, if you want to join in on the fun, come join our amazing spider slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute it is truly the non-toxic version of Spider-Man discussion on the internet. There's nowhere else for this kind of thing. I think the slack might be the one place that you can escape all the negativity and hatred and upset feelings over dissenting viewpoints. So come join our very respectful Slack. I am still on the Slack. You know, I, I haven't I haven't bailed fully yet. I have not found your reading club channel, though, Dan. I guess I got to, like, scroll around a bit more for that. But uh, uh, other than that. So but like, that's the thing. Come come to the Slack and get a rare interaction with with Mischievous Mark, which I know is very important. So come and join us and we hope to see you there. Let's get back to discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 22. You know, before we get into rampant speculation and question asking, you know, we got to talk about the, the art team on this book. Lest we, like, stop throwing praise at John Romita Jr. I mean, every issue we get, like, of him, we really should just be, I think, very grateful for and. I love that Zeb is is giving him a lot to do in these issues. You know, there's artwork in here of the style of John Romita's I've never seen before. The kind of like uh, creature made, uh, like rat creature made of symbols, like, and the way it stretches and skews as it punches and gets punched by Spider-Man. I mean, it's the kind of like motion that he can capture on the page. It's so unique to him. I... I was thrilled with the way that this comic looked. I mean, there's no children in it. So, I mean, that that's a praise. Just an oddly uh, illustrated Kamala, Kamala Khan, right? I mean, was that just me? Yeah, yeah she's weirdly older looking. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I was like, where's yeah, the 16-year-old uh, here? This is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess she doesn't have a comic right now, so maybe she aged up a bunch. Uh, yeah, uh, that's not the case, Mark. Don't don't uh, don't get excited. Yeah, I, I, I thought this stuff was awesome. It reminded me a lot of his Dimension Z stuff when he did the run with Rick Remender on, on Captain America. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I don't love his Yeb as much as Bacalos, but it's such a different style. Like, uh, you know, it, it was cool to see that character translated in, in such a different way. What, what did you think of the pencils overall? Um, I actually, I, I actually quite liked his Y up a lot. The, the, my, my, my biggest demerit, if you will, for, for JRJR, who I, I, I mean, look, I love JRJR, but, and we could talk about this a little bit too. We could have talked about it earlier on as well. Like I thought the, the, the last few pages visually were very confusing. You know, you could chalk some of that up to Zeb, but like also just how how it was being illustrated because like it was like, you know, you, you have Wyatt and, and Spider-Man kind of fighting near this portal and then MJ inserts herself and quote unquote cuts the God in half. But like, I, I but then like you, feel, you see like Paul, like kind of pushing Wyatt through, but like. I'm like, wait, is MJ there too? But then you see like Peter just kind of falling. Uh, it, it was very visually, it just it was just confusing to me. I, I had a hard time following the action there. I, th I think it, it was just a little too abstract. I think they needed, I think JR needed to kind of create a little bit more, something a little firmer to, to grasp onto here visually. I, I think I got all the beats up until the final one. My understanding is that like Yeb can bend time and, you know, he's punching Peter through portals. And I thought that was kind of cool. The use of like repeating the word 
balloons from a page earlier to showcase how, like, how time was bending. And then MJ activates the portal on Peter, which, since Yab is right on top of him, it slices Yab in half with the portal. And so half of Yab goes through, and then Paul pushes the other half through so that it doesn't blow up on MJ and, and, and Paul. I guess my narrative question in that case is if, if he could push Wyab through, why didn't the two of them just jump through too? You know, I guess maybe like Peter might not necessarily been able to save them. So what you're seeing is the first half of Wyab fall through and explode Peter fall through. And then the second half of Wyab. But the thing that confused the hell out of me is the literal ending. Like Peter seems to be shooting webs at himself to maybe create some kind of like, you know, friction so he can float in the air or, or slow his landing. But then it also looks like maybe he's like pinned up in the sky with the portal. I, I, I couldn't tell what was happening in the very final beat there. I don't know if you had a particular read on it, but it just seemed like an explosion or something. And like, I honestly, when I got to it, it had the little spider in the bottom right corner. I was like, no, I want one more page. Give me, give me one more page, you know? Um, uh, so like I, I thought that was fairly confusing. I, I don't know. Did, did that equally confuse you? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. That was the thing. I mean, like I, I just, I just was not, I was having a hard time following. That's the bottom line. All right, Dan, this is, this is a, a, a momentous occasion in the history of the amazing Inspire talk. I, I am, I am very benevolently going to let you speculate here you know i i might chime in or i might just let you go and then you know roll my eyes and say let's take it home dan so so i i, I want you to chime in because uh, because i i don't necessarily have ideas about these things but okay. they're things that i think like we should like keep in our mind you know? okay all right like, well, I, well, I, I, but you you carry the you carry the conversation here dan okay because you know sure I mean, ju- just to set the stage like i am if i haven't expressed this i am deeply hesitant to speculate, even though my brain d- still does this to me, which is a, an unfortunate part of being Dan Gavazdan, you know, but after the kindred thing, I, I think I'm so hurt that I, that, you know, I, I, I'm a wounded animal, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm not eager to get back out there, but um, I think there's a bunch of questions we should be asking of ourselves, you know, given what some of our assumptions might've been before we, this, Ark started laying out more details. And those are the things I want to kind of question a little bit. You know, first I'm going to note some things that I think are important. So Paul suggests at some point that he was sent by Rabin, you know, to Zabalba with a message for Wyeb that had been like carved into him in some way. And, he, and, and something sadistic and he doesn't finish his sentence. We don't ever see it. So like uh, in my mind, Paul still has some kind of power that we don't know about that that symbol that's been carved into his flesh or whatever still likely carries. If we, if we're to go with this whole idea that symbols have power in, in, in some way, does that register with you, Mark? It does. And, and again, I, I would point to the kind of weaponry uh, that, that Paul is using and you know, the, the significance of an octopus gun. I mean, that's, that seems a little on the nose, Dan, but, it worked. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like what's, what's, what's this, you know, this, this, you know, there is a power, there is, there's something going on there with this character. And I, I, I don't, you know, I, if I may speculate, I am not nearly as convinced that he, uh, he is as benevolent as you seem to think he is. I think there that he is as part of the conflict here as, as, you know, Rabin and Wyatt are. So. Okay, cool. Next up, and this one, I think to me, is like maybe the most important one is that like it's very firmly established here, as it also was suggested in issues 555 through 557, that time moves differently wherever Yab is from. And in this case, if you want to call it Zabalba, sure. You know, we know that when we encounter MJ and she has these kids of a certain age, like, you know, in the six month time, there's no way that she could have gotten pregnant, delivered those children and had them age up considerably with Paul. Assuming they're her biological children, which I think is quite the assumption that or the assumption, at least that they want us to make. You know, I think they've done the work here to establish like 
whatever's going on in Zabalba, you know, it, it does change time in some way. And, you know, maybe time moves like, you know, faster there or what what have you. It doesn't seem, I mean, we don't know how young Paul was when he came into this, but, you know, he suggests he's been there for a long time, you know, maybe it doesn't move that fast, you know, and, and, and given JRJR's pencils, MJ doesn't look a lot older, but, but who's to say with the Marvel sliding timeline, but it is something, it's something that I think was established in this issue with a point. I, I don't know if you want to react to that at all with any, any of your own speculation. I mean, no, I agree. I mean, I have long theorized quietly because I don't like to speculate on this show that that w- whatever this outcome is, is the result of, you know, some kind of distortion of, you know, space time or whatever you want to call it. You know, is it that that time moves that much faster there? Not not necessarily, but like the way this is being framed, I, I I have zero doubt that these are, in fact, Paul and MJ's children that have evolved in real time. And, you know, MJ looks just as young as she always did, not because of the Marvel sliding scale, but because of that's that these are the consequences of whatever space time shenanigans have happened. So that's my reaction. I wanted to note that Wyeb is split into two halves. And so one half lands and I presume is the crater that we saw Peter in, in issue one of this run, right? Because the crater was outside York, Pennsylvania, and we see a big explosion um, at the end of this issue, you know, outside of the city, like, and, and maybe I'm jumped to conclusions, but to me, at least it seems related um, in some way. The question is, where does the other half go uh, of Wyatt? Is he officially dead, you know, being cut in half and exploding in, in, in that manner? And then, like, would those powers, if he were to die, get to Rabin, right? Because we see Rabin show up and he's in a tornado and all this stuff. Like, that was not something that he had the ability to do, to my understanding, prior. So, like, is this the culmination, like... In 555 to 557, he was trying to get Yeb's powers. You know, is is Yeb's death the success of that? You know, that, that, that would be the question I would be asking. I have a really crazy theory about the two halves of Yeb that I don't know if you want me to say. Maybe I'll hold on to it. Put a pin um, in that. Save something for tomorrow, for the next week. I'll, 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 te- I'll tease this. There are two halves to Yeb and there are two children whose origins we're not really sure of and who need to be gotten as far away from, from Rabin as possible. And if you look at the bandages <laughs> and the color of the clothes, all right, go to your next theory, Dan, before, okay. I, before I shut this conversation down. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay. Peter mentioned sending MJ to the FF in this issue. And, you know, we got the FF mentioned in issue one, and I think we all assumed that the spider device that Peter was holding in the opening of that issue was from them. But now we know that it isn't, right? Peter used it to travel back, and, you know, I don't think we know for certain, but I think it's a pretty fair assumption that, like, what we like, we thought was the start of issue one was, like, what Peter did, but it seems like it's the direct fallout of this exact moment. He's in a crater holding the, the device. His mask is torn just like it was when Yeb tore it in this issue. What did he need to get from the FF? Maybe it was to restore this device or whatever, but it, it, we don't really quite know. And I think our presumption about that spider device was incorrect potentially, but gets to the other thing, which is like, we, I think we all thought the question of what did Peter do which didn't exist in the comic, right? It existed in the marketing. It was this moment with him in the crater and everything. Except it seems like that was not actually what Peter did. Like that's a fallout of really MJ's choice. Peter's choice is yet to come. Like, like you know, it is not about, you know, having MJ trapped in another universe or whatever. What What was it that Peter and Norman did to get MJ back. We know they did something to get MJ back and it backfired, right? We found out about that in, I believe the dark web dusk issue or something like that. I think this is just a recontextualization of what we thought we were asking questions about. If that makes sense, Mark, I I can get crazy with it too. I mean, you know, fantastic Four. you know, 
I mean, is Franklin Richards still a thing, or did we did we get rid of Franklin Richards? I I, I haven't been keeping. He's that. still a thing. He doesn't have as quite as much power, but they do have the Forever Gate. So like that kind of replicates a lot of the like dimension hopping abilities of Franklin Richards and like the universe creation powers of him or whatever or whatever. That still yeah. relies on Franklin Richards, so he he would still be able to do that, but he has very few powers left because he's kind of drained. If that's still a thing, you know. I mean, whatever. I'm just like, yeah, hey, it's comics. It, you could undo anything. Uh, it's comics. And, you know, maybe Norman. I, look, I'm just saying, like, if you need to create a pocket universe where MJ and Paul are married with children and everyone's alive and Peter's miserable, you could do a lot worse than having Franklin Richards be the, the magician who does all that. That's all I'm saying. That's it. That's the end of my speculation. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. And here's another one that gets down to kind of like it's a question I have about like timing of things. You know, we find out in issue one that Peter has kind of been like away, you know, from everybody for a while that they haven't seen him. And the implication there is that like whatever Peter did or whatever he's doing, like involved kind of either like not seeing everybody for a while. There's him with like facial hair. This is kind of the opposite of what I was suggesting earlier, that time moves faster in Zibalba than than it does in our reality. It, was it actually Peter's time in Zibalba that had him away? Like, uh, it makes me think of that brand new day, Fantastic Four story, where, you know, Peter goes into a pocket universe and comes back and Jameson is the mayor. The mayor. You know? <laughs> right. So, like, maybe, like, it truly wasn't that Peter was ostracized, like... He went to Zabalba, whether this first time or second time, and Randy and May are reacting to that. And they make a big deal about him shaving his facial hair, which was a big thing brought back up in this issue and in the original 555 to 557 that Wyeb is uh, repulsed by people with facial hair. And that's how they kind of defeat him. So I don't know that there's something to that. It doesn't help that the recap page isn't exactly sure when all this stuff takes place, whether it's a year or a year and a half ago. Maybe it wasn't necessarily that Peter pushed people away from him more than it was Peter was not around you know, it, during this. So anyway, those are all questions I'm asking. I don't really have a lot of answers other than some crazy theory about children being ha- halves of gods, which I don't actually believe in, but, but, you know, I'm thinking Mark, I'm thinking, and that's dangerous. I shouldn't be thinking. And Mark is uh, judging me uh, uh, unworthy here. Mark, uh, speaking of judgments, why why don't we get to our grades of this particular issue? Good, good, good segue, Dan. Uh, I'm going to give this a B plus. I, I, I didn't like it quite as much as I did the last issue, but this is a very strong follow up. I mean, this is, yeah, and again, in terms of a big Spider-Man arc, uh, this is about as good of a of an opening two issues as you can ask for. You, Mark, uh, I'm giving this a solid A. I oh can't believe I'm saying it. Wow, like, I, I dug I dug this issue. It made me super hyped. Like it it subverted things that I thought I knew, and and now I'm like, oh, I I know less about what to, to happen than I thought I did, and. Uh, while also being co- consistent with what came before. And I, I got to admit, I loved the way that it like made me like actually go, okay, Spider-Verse can work. I, I'll accept Spider-Verse. Like, like, I don't like that stuff, but the way it was written here, I'll take that. And you know what? Anything that makes me go, all right, Spider-Verse is fine with me now, at least uh, uh, in the lore. Uh, yeah, hats off to that comic. The kind of subtlety of the writing here, I, I thought was um, was commendable. So anyway, a, a solid A from me. I mean, I question how much Sudafed you're on right now, but other than that, um, no. <laughs> it's a lot of Dayquil. Okay. I, 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 every four hours, I'm 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 hitting that Dayquil mark, and, and I'm in the middle of it. So every, and every four hours, the grade goes from an A minus to an A to an A plus. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it depends on when you're talking to me. Call call me in about two hours. We'll see. We'll see the grade might dip back down like to like a C or something. Um, I'm, I am on this story's wavelength. I'll just say that. All right. Hey, I mean, 
Me too. Just, you know, maybe not quite as enthusiastically, but that's okay because you, you got to speculate. This and now is the you're... only highlight of my very sick week, Mark. Oh my God. Okay. Anyway, well, well, well Dan, not, not, not to, not to create a low light here, but it is unfortunately that time, which is time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and the viewers for tuning into this episode of the amazing spider talk. Goodbye, Mark. I, I, I may start crying uh, in, a, in a drug-induced tear state uh, at the end of the show, having to say goodbye. But uh, you know what makes me happy is the, the people who support this podcast, because this podcast exists because of listener support on the Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews and season six content the same week that the comics release or the same week we record that content. You might be listening to this and think season six hasn't even started yet, but on the Patreon it has. We've also got exclusive artwork. You know, we've got the Nick Cagnetti stuff for the new season six, plus all the commissions and a ton of other bonuses. So a thank you to everyone who supports us already and the work that we do. Plus, we want to issue a special thank you to welcome our newest patrons, Dominic Galliano, John Morrissey, A.B., Timothy May, Trash Bringer, and Nicholas Lipinski. Look at that, Mark. A.B., the alphabet is even supporting us. Plus, thanks to Symbiote Z for upgrading his membership to the Excelsior Club. I mean, you're into AB. I, I, I'm curious about what what the trash bringer is bringing to the table. But, you know, I, I, I'm glad that he's bringing or he or she is bringing support for our Patreon. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more. We just added David Michelini to the this this feed, right, Dan? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. Plus, this Spider-Man shirt that I'm wearing today for this episode was sent to me by one of our newest patrons, Symbiote Z, who has an online store for Spider-Man gear that he's designed. So I wanted to say thank you to Symbiote Z for the shirt. You can check out a description to this episode and get a link to his store and, and maybe you'll pick up a shirt or two of his. I appreciate the shirts. They're cool. So Mark, until I destroy your symbology with a Canadian bacon gun, terrifying. Uh, wow. What's our motto? You sent shivers down my spine in saying that. Uh, our motto is, of course, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk.